it was during the Civil War that it was estimated that one-third of the U.S. currency was counterfeit. And you think about that. Our, our money, our dollars, 33% of it was counterfeit. There were approximately 1,600 state banks at that time who were designing and printing their own currency. Could you imagine Fifth Third Bank, they have their currency? First Southern has their currency. Chase Bank has their currency. And you try to go to a store and buy something? What a mess that would be. Each note carried a different design, making it difficult to distinguish between the 4,000 varieties of counterfeits from 7,000 varieties of genuine notes. So in 1863, a national currency was adopted. Anybody in here or online, raise your hand, that uh, you love trivia? You love to do those trivia games? You guys like to do trivia? I just gave you an answer for the upcoming trivia that may come across. When was our currency established? It was in 1863. It was soon counterfeited, though, so extensively that the government then had to take uh, measures to enforce, this is our currency and this is what we're going to follow. So on July 5 of 1865, the United States uh, Secret Service was established to identify and suppress counterfeiting. Very interesting, you understand that. So, say, what, what was their strategy? How did they do that? Instead of focusing their strategy on the unique characteristics of all the different counterfeit currency out there, the Secret Service emphasized and they trained to know the distinctive, unique marks of what was the accepted currency. They said, you need to know that so well so that when something comes up that's not of that, you'll be able to identify that. Uh, I had fellow church planting friends who planted out in Utah, the home of the LDS community. And I remember a very distinct conversation with one of the church planters. I said, I couldn't imagine planting a church in the middle of the LDS community. And I said, do you have to understand all their teachings and everything they teach? And you try to read it and understand it and study their books as well? He said, absolutely not. I'm time for that. I said, well, how do you know? He said, well, I study the Bible. And when something comes up that's not of the Bible, I can identify it and go, that's not of God. That's not of the Scripture. That's not of the Bible. That's not of Christ. And so they knew what the true currency, the true faith was, to be able to identify what is false. Let me ask you something this morning. Do you know what a counterfeit faith looks like? Do you understand what a counterfeit faith looks like? All of us need to understand what a counterfeit faith looks like so that we can identify when false teaching is coming into our lives. See, our lives as Christian, I believe, should be marked by joy and transformation. As Christ's followers in Jesus, we should be marked by having a life that is filled with joy and a life that is transformed. But when we buy into or we accept the counterfeit faith, our joy is squashed. One of the exciting parts of belonging to Jesus, one of the exciting parts of giving your life to Christ is also transformation. That when I walk in Christ, my life is transformed. And each day and every day should be a huge adventure. We should wake up in the morning and wake up and go, man, I am so excited and joyful for this day. I can't wait for what's going to happen. I'm looking forward to walking with Jesus. See, in the Colossian church, there was a problem. There was a group of false teachers who were coming into the church, and they were trying to steal the freedom and the joy that people would normally experience in Christ. They were offering a counterfeit faith 
by trying to make people adopt things that really had nothing or little to do with growing in Christ. You ever woke on up in the morning, had a good time in the Lord, reading the Bible, maybe having some worship music, and you're like, this day is going to be so good. I'm so filled with joy. It's wonderful. And then you walk out of your bedroom and you stub your toe. And you're like, oh, man, I thought it was going to be a great day. Or you trip going up and down the steps. Or, or, or you go in to make your coffee, and your coffee pot is empty. You're like, I don't have any grounds. I don't have any coffee. Or you go to work, and your boss says, hey, you and I, we need to talk. You begin the day with joy. You begin the day with excitement, and then something starts to seal it, see, steal it. See, the issues of the church in Colossae that they were faced were some of the same issues and the struggles that we deal with today. Our struggles sometimes come from people who are within the church who have misunderstood what it means to be a Christian, and so they start putting their beliefs on us even though they don't align with Scripture. And then sometimes our struggles, our trials, come from people who are outside the church who try to cause damage, who try to thwart or steal our joy and our transformation. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, open that up. I want to encourage you, use the YouVersion Bible app. When you open that up, go to the Events tab, and you'll see on there Centerpoint Christian Church. You can find uh, announcements and our bulletin and prayer requests and a way to give. And, when, and then uh, there's, there's sermon notes in there. You can take notes. There's questions. Let me remind you, hit Save. Had a conversation with someone not long ago. They said, Brian, I sat there with a bunch of notes. I can't find it. I said, did you hit that save? They went, oh, no. If you go to the events tab, though, and you take some notes and you hit save, you come back and you're looking at Colossians down the road a month or a year or five years, you can pull up and there's your notes. And you go, oh, yeah, I remember studying that some in a, in a message that I heard. So open up to Colossians chapter 2. Paul had a, a, a launched a full-out assault on false teachings in Colossians chapter 2. In verses 8 through 10, Paul covered world philosophies, that, that worldly philosophies that dam, damage uh, people's life and damage people's faith and steal joy. And Paul attacked that. And in verses 11 through 15, Paul deals with the sufficiency that we have in Jesus, reminding that in Christ we have everything. Will you say the word everything with me? Just everything. Everything. E- everything. In Christ, we have everything. And Paul attacks that and says, listen, the sufficiency of our relationship is in Christ. In our text today, the issues of legalism, subjective experience, and self-denial under assault. Paul starts to blow up the counterfeit teachings affecting the Colossae church is what he's doing. When we get caught in any of these issues, what happens is we start to lose our joy and adhering to any or all these issues will not allow us to experience real transformation or complete transformation. See, when we substitute Jesus for legalism, or we substitute subjective experience in place of Jesus, or we substitute behavior modification, what happens is our transformation is in jeopardy. Let's begin with verses 16 and 17. Paul says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come, The reality, however, is found in Christ. I want us to discover three truths in our text today. Here's number one. Jesus was the focus of the law. He was the focus. The church was struggling in part because some people were trying to get them to revert to their former way of life, which was what? Judaism. 
They're trying to say, no, let's go back and let's live underneath that law society. Remember what we read today in this letter comes right after what we're told, the blessings we have because of Jesus. Paul reminds his readers, and also I think he's reaching out to us today. He's reminding us not to let anyone act as our judge concerning following how they think we ought to be living and practicing our faith. See, in a sense, the principle being conveyed here is to not sacrifice your freedom in Christ for a man-made set of rules. Many times we start to create rules, and we create rules within the church. The issue of legalism can stop our transformation process because we trade our freedom in Christ for this man-made religious activity of we need to be doing this, this, and this, and this, and this. Romans 10 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So Christ came, the law is put aside. The law no longer is needed. All the items in verse 16 refer to the aspects of the Old Testament law. The law is not the standard by which we're judged today. The law was fulfilled in Christ and it was nailed to the cross. Are you thankful we're not judged by the law? I know I am. I'm very thankful. Galatians 5 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul's like, listen, when you want to go back and live underneath the law, underneath the old way, underneath the Judaism way, what you're doing is you're putting yourself underneath slavery again. Why go back to that? He's like, in Christ you have freedom. Paul's like, they're bringing these rules back in. Do you really want to go back to those rules? See, many of the Jews of the day, found their comfort in legalism. That's why the Ten Commandments turned into 600-plus laws. They had the Ten. It wasn't good enough. Well, let's create some more rules. Let's create some more laws. And now you have over 600. Now, to bring this into context of today, we may not struggle with going back to the Old Testament law. I don't know if I've had a conversation with anybody in 25 years of ministry who says, well, I want to go back and live in Judaism. Brian, can I do that? I've never had that debate with anybody, never had that discussion. However, I've had people when I say, where are you at with God? Are you prepared for heaven? Are you ready for heaven? I, I hope so, Brian. What, what do you mean by you hope so? Well, you know, I, I do my best to keep the Ten Commandments. And you know those ten, I, mean, I, I do my best to live them out. What we're doing right there is we're putting ourselves back underneath the law. You mean... You mean I go and try to live by the Ten Commandments? I'm, I'm trying to live by the law? Yeah, that's, that's what happened. We should not do the Ten Commandments to, to be good enough for God. I, I said this in first service. I didn't get too many debates, so I had one. So I'm, I'm going to say it to you all as well. I'm going to say it to you on Facebook. Years ago, there was the big debate and arguments and fights about the Ten Commandments in the schools. Some of you all remember that. Some of you in here are too young. You're like, I don't remember that. Used to go in every single school, and there used to be Ten Commandments hanging on a wall somewhere. When that debate really arose early in my ministry days, I got to tell you, I really wasn't a fan. And personally, I'm not a fan of us trying to say, let's put the Ten Commandments back on the walls in the schools. What, Brian? You're crazy. It's in the Bible. It should be on the wall. We got kids to follow those rules. If they follow those rules, school will be so messed up. No. When we do that, we're saying, put yourself underneath the law. Go live the legalistic and make sure you accomplish all ten of those. If you accomplish all ten of those, you're good. Here's what I'd prefer. I would prefer we put on our walls, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Let's practice that because that's New Testament Christianity. We go and we want. But that's also summary of the ten. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first four commandments. The next six all deal with how we love our neighbor as ourselves. But what we do is we say, well, go live under the law. Go live under the law. Go live under the law. Let's fight for it to live under the law. No, let's live under grace. And that's what Paul's saying right here. Paul's like, listen, quit trying to live a legalistic life. Look at verse 17 again. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. See, rule-keeping is just a shadow. There is no real spiritual substance to making rule-keeping the center of your faith. A shadow has no reality. The reality is what makes the shadow. Jesus Christ is reality to which the shadow points. And so we don't need the rules. We need Jesus. We should do what we do because we love Jesus. And what happens is, is sometimes we try to teach or encourage people to do certain things in their walk with, with God, and it can come across like legalism, even though maybe the heart behind it is, I want you to love Jesus. For example, I know I'm guilty. Many preachers are. Of pushing you as a church, are you involved in some kind of small group or Bible study? Got to be involved in a small group or Bible study. You need to sign up for a small group or Bible study. You got to plug in a small group or Bible study. What can happen sometimes in that attitude is what can come across is, oh, you're not in a study? Oh, are you? Are you really a person of faith? Do you, do you really believe in Jesus? Oh, you need to be in church every single week. You need to gather in church. You should be doing, or you need to be praying. You need to be doing Bible study. You need to be doing personal quiet time. You need to be doing, and you start saying, you need to, you need to. We can start to create these legalistic rules and not even attending to. Why should you be in a Bible study? Why should you be in a small group? Why should you come to church? Why did you come to church on this Sunday? I hope and my prayer is, I want to be in a Bible study. I want to be in a small group. I want to come to church. I want to pray. I want to do quiet time. Because I love Jesus. And because you love Jesus, then you say, I'm going to pursue things of faith. And I'm going to pursue actions of faith that grow my faith, that lift my joy, that bring me to a spot of transformation. You see how it's different? I grew up kind of in a legalistic mindset. We, we used to do rewards. If you were in church 52 Sundays, you got a special reward. If you memorize certain scriptures, you got, the, you got certain rewards for the scriptures you memorize. It, I, I would call it being punished by rewards. The idea behind it was good, but it can create this mindset that i got to do all this stuff to be right with God. Paul's blowing all that up, and he's saying, get rid of the legalism. See, if, if we all gather to worship because we love Jesus, we all come to a Bible study because we love Jesus, we serve because we love Jesus, we read our Bibles because we love Jesus, we have quiet time because we love Jesus, we worship because we love Jesus, the way we live our lives and, and the impact of that is so much greater than living under the legalistic mindset. See, Jesus was the focus of the law, and this is why Jesus fulfilled the law. All the messianic prophecies were about him. Galatians chapter 3 says, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. So the law kind of set the direction of, this is how you should live. This is good living. This is righteous living. Until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. What's the word justified mean? Here it is, simply. Just as if I have never sinned. By how? By faith. So when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the cross, when I put my faith in what Jesus did, then I have been justified, just as if I have never sinned. So God looks down and says, there's one of my believers, you're clean, blood's covered you, you have no sin. 
versus, oh, there's this whole list of rules. i got to keep all that. Man, I missed number eight. I blew it this week. Stink. But many of us have been raised in that kind of mindset. Paul's like, you've got to live in this justified by faith mindset. John MacArthur in his commentary on Colossians states the following, legalism is useless because it cannot restrain the flesh. It is also dangerously deceptive because inwardly rebellious, disobedient Christians or even non-Christians can conform to a set of external performance standards or rituals. Most of us for a while, sometimes for a long time, can have a list of rules. I'll just follow the rules. Some of you are really good rule followers. Some of us were raised in that, that mindset. Give me the rules. I just want to know the rules. I'll just keep all the rules. Now, some of us like to push against the rules. Grace deals with both sides. Grace deals with the rule keeper. Grace deals with those who like to break the rules. You live right in the middle underneath the grace in Christ. Mark 7, Jesus deals with the heart issue. That's what Paul's getting to. Mark 7, he says, Then Jesus called the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes out of your heart. See, Jesus has to be our substance if we want to experience joy and transformation. Real transformation does not happen merely by keeping external rules. It happens when we have an inner relationship with Jesus. We have a heart relationship with Jesus. We, we have something going on inside here that, that people can't even see, but it's so powerful and so life-changing and so transformational, so transformed. So let, let's move to the second truth. Look at verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Here's the truth I see. A focus on subjective experiences will keep us from transforming. See, Paul keeps pleading with us to not allow our freedom to be taken captive by asceticism, which is the issue of self-denial or by focusing on subjective experiences. The focus of this boils down to mysticism, which is defined as the pursuit of a deeper or higher subjective religious experience. Some were trying to convert others or convince others that they were missing something in their faith because they were not experiencing the same visions that they were experiencing. If others around you are telling you that you're missing something and that they are relaying to you these awesome-sounding experiences, it could possibly make you feel cheated or even make you feel like, well, maybe I'm not saved. You say, how, how does that get lived out? Well, early in my days of ministry, the very first church I served when I was a youth pastor, I had a lady come up to me and ask me, said, Brian, do you speak in tongues? I said, no, I don't speak in tongues. She said, then are you really saved? As a young youth minister, I was like, how do I answer that question? <laughs> don't know what to do with that. I said, well, I don't know if I agree with you on that one because I don't think the Bible teaches that. And I kind of walked away because I didn't know how to get in the debate or argument. I would want her to take her to this passage. Because people have said those kinds of things. If you're not doing A, B, or C, you're not able to heal. You're, you're not able to, to speak in tongues. You're not in church enough. You're not doing this. You're, are you really saved? We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what's been done. 
What's been done is the cross. What's been done is Jesus, his death, his burial, and resurrection. See, the problem with subjective experience is that you have nothing concrete to base your experience on. In Christ, we have all we need. We do not need subjective experiences to complete us in Christ. We have all we need. How much do we have? All we need. We have everything we need in Jesus Christ. But when we continue to seek a high of subjective experiences and we stop seeking Jesus, and then our transformation will stop. Have you ever heard of adrenaline junkies? Adrenaline junkies are the people that like do extreme sports. They're the ones that get on a skateboard and go down a hill going 50 miles an hour. They, they like the excitement. They're, they're the ones who are doing the extreme games on ESPN and flying through the sky, flipping their bike 20 times and landing on the wheels, hopefully. You know? They're the ones who, who hit the ski mountain and they do all the flips and all the twists. Those are adrenaline, known as adrenaline junkies. They like the, the thrill of experience like that. I think there's a, there's, there's a number of Christians who are adrenaline junkies. They, they want to go from one experience to another experience. And as long as the experiences are high, then I'm good with God. But when the experiences are not there, then I'm not sure how I'm doing with God. For me, that was probably growing up in youth conferences. I remember going to youth camp and youth conferences, and you'd be there, and it was so good and so wonderful. We're on this great experience, and we go back to church and go, man, my church is so boring. And all they do is sing those old stinking hymns. You, you kids are blessed, you young people. But we would get, we'd be at camp, we'd be at CIY. Oh, it's so good. Don't we love Jesus? It's wonderful. Lift our hands. Let's praise God. Go back home. Oh, my church is just so pitiful. It's so dry around here. I mean, if you grew up in church and you grew up going to some youth conferences, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You wanted to go from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience, and you thought every Sunday should be an experience like that. That's what Paul's talking about. Are we just chasing after experiences? One of the churches that I served in, the pastor used to always say, what's the big wow this week? And there was a planning team that would put the services together. What's the big wow? So every week we try to come up with a big wow where people would walk out and go, oh man, that one part of that service was just so good. It was chasing adrenaline. It wore me out. I got tired of it. The wow needs to come when the Holy Spirit just moves and you go, man, the Spirit moved in there in an amazing way. But you know what I find? Most of the times, our spiritual life, we have some highs. It's okay. A high might be I go out and walk through the woods. God and I had a great time just walking with. We have some highs. We have some lows. But I find the Christian life really is much more about just being consistent. Just continually walk with God, continue to grow with God, continue to pursue God, continue to walk with Jesus every day, day in and day out, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. See, a self-denial was done as it generated a false sense of pride, and that's what happens. It was done to show others how holy a person won. There's a tendency in human nature to move from one objectivity or subjectivity to shift the focus from that uh, being with Christ to, to your experiences. And when we do that, what happens is that intimidates other believers, especially newer believers or weaker believers, they feel threatened, and it also sets us up to create our own list of what is right with God and what is wrong with God. Our text reminds us that we take our focus off of Jesus, we hurt our growth. Look at verse 19 again. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Who causes the growth? God causes the growth. 
When we get puffed up in our own wisdom, we start to make up our own ways to serve God and we lose touch with Jesus, who is the head from which the whole body is nourished. When we all are striving to be transformed by Jesus, instead of seeking our own subjective experiences with God, then God causes the body to grow and he causes you to grow. So Jesus was the focus of the law. A focus of subjective experiences will keep us from transforming. And verse 20 takes us to our third truth. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Here's the third truth. A focus on outward action keeps us from transforming. See, when we're in union with Christ, we're set free from man-made rules designed to promote spirituality. When we're buried with Christ, raised with Him in a new life, like we talked about last week, we're called to be different. We're a new creation. We're called to grow spiritually, but to do that, we have to get past the elementary spirits of the world. These spirits tell us that if we look good on the outside, if we do certain things, then we're good on the inside. And mankind has been very good about devising ways to look good on the outside while falling apart on the inside. If you've been around the church long enough, you know people who walked in the church maybe for years, and you went, wow, there's a good, strong Christian. And then you find out they fail or something fell apart in their life. You're like, oh, what was going on on the inside? See, just modifying our behavior will not transform us into the image of Jesus. Should our behavior change in Jesus? Well, absolutely. See, the Pharisees were good at looking at good on the outside. True mess on the inside. Here's what Jesus says to them. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, self-denial as a self-imposed form of spirituality is all about appearance. It's all what looks good on the outside. Am I behaving correctly? And do people see that I am behaving correctly? But our faith is about a relationship with Jesus. It's not about impressing other people. Because God knows what's going on with your heart. I'll never forget early, early in ministry, my father-in-law, who many in this room know, Papa Mike, passed a couple years ago, gave me some of the best wisdom. And it's wisdom that just spoke to my heart, and I have just lived by it in my years of ministry. He said, Brian... Don't create rules for people to change by. I said, what do you mean by that? And he, he had a pretty rough past. Let's just keep it at that. And he said, when I met Jesus and my life was changed and people introduced me to Jesus and they taught me how to study the Bible and I started growing in Jesus, I started changing those things because Jesus was working in me. But what we do in the church is, oh, you need to stop doing this, you need to start doing this, you need to start behaving this way, you need to start behaving that way. And we have all these lists and all these rules that are outward appearance. It's, it's behavior modification. You just change your behavior. And if you change your behavior, then okay, you're probably good. No, that's not true. Jesus wants to change your heart. 
And as your heart is changed, then your behavior will start to follow. Your behavior will start to change. That means you walk with people for a long time. That's why around here, we love it. If you're broken, you're dealing with stuff, hey, that's fine. Let's just keep talking about Jesus. Let's keep growing in Jesus. I want to keep helping you get to know Jesus. That's what Paul was trying to say. He's like, listen, they're coming with all these rules and telling you, follow all these rules, change the outside behavior, and you're good. And Paul says, that's not good. And Jesus said, that's not good. I want you to change your heart. I want you to change your your relationship. Here's a good example. Jesus says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious. As the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that that is the only reward they'll ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one notice that you are fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private. And your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Talking about a spiritual discipline. When you do, you don't have to go and show everybody on the outside. He says, you, you create this private relationship. He says, He'll reward you. I believe the reward is life transformation, he's talking about there. I believe when we have that private, inward relationship with Jesus, with God through Jesus, then the reward is life starts to change. But Brian, I'm struggling with A, B, C, D, E. These are my difficulties. Good. Pursue Jesus. Chase after Jesus. Run to Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Pursue Him with everything you can. And be honest with Him and say, Lord, here's my struggles. I hate people sometimes. I talk filthy sometimes. I'm dealing with this addiction issue. I like to watch things I shouldn't be watching. All right, keep chasing after Jesus. Keep running after Jesus. And that's the thing that Paul's telling us here. You keep running after Jesus. It's not about legalism. It's not about changing the outside. See, when we focus on trying to look good for others, then the transformation in Christ stops because we have a sense of false security. Hey, I'm doing pretty good over here, but look at them. They're kind of falling apart. Great, I got it all together. I'm good, God. And we stop transforming. The religious leaders of Jesus' day fought this, and we fight it the same today. Our faith, it's not about legalism. I'm doing all the right stuff. It's not about subjective experiences. If you can do this and this, hey, you're good. It's not about seeking these spiritual adrenaline highs. All right, God, another good high, another good high. Nor is it looking good on the outside. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about a growing relationship. And that's what Centerpoint is about. We're here to help you find and follow Jesus. So no matter where you're at in your faith today, you say, I've never put my faith in Jesus. Well, let's have a conversation. Let's start talking about that. What, that is, what does that look like? How do we help you in that? Well, I, I put my faith in Jesus some time ago, but I've been struggling. Good. Let's talk. We want to walk with you on the journey. We'll help you take steps of faith. We're moving to our time of communion here, and the cross is open. Maybe you want to go back and just spend a moment standing or kneeling at the cross. Some of our prayer team members will be back there. You say, I need someone to talk with. I just need someone to pray with me, talk with me. Good, well, let's meet back at the cross. Let's begin that conversation. I want to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. We'll meet you at the cross. You're online with us today. Maybe you say, I need help. Send us a message. You can private message us there on Facebook, and we'd love to help you on the journey of your faith in Jesus. See, when we focus on Jesus, life changes. And I believe when life changes, because we're focused on Jesus, then other people look at the church and they look at us and say, I I want what you have. What what, what are you doing different? And that gives us an opportunity to say, let's talk about Jesus. Bow your heads with me. Father God.